0: the episode 80 we bemoaned the state of network automation and the many comments we received on that episode one especially stuck out to me and here's kind of a paraphrase of that comment tools like a cisco network service orchestrator can automate an entire network and not just push config changes box by box you tell the tool what your network is and the tool computes the changes needed throughout the network for you Today, we're gonna chat with sponsor Cisco about Network Service Orchestrator and see how network automation has improved in the last couple of years. I'm Ethan Banks, joined by Chris Wall, powered by the desire to see the big picture. We talk to coworkers, not on our team, to break down technical silos and make IT suck less. We're the Datanauts, and joining us for this silo-busting adventure is Carl Moberg and the Cloud Business Unit, handling some of the product management at Cisco Systems. Carl, welcome to Datanauts, and hey, man, I want to just jump right into things here about Network Surface Orchestrator. Now, for people that have not heard of NSO before, give us the 10,000-foot view, man. W- what is Cisco's Network Surface Orchestrator, and what's the time... And by the way, to the Tail F product, I believe, my memory serves me, they are pretty well connected.
1: Well, Ethan, first of all, thanks for having me. And what a great setup. I will tell you all about what you just asked. Yes, your assumption is right. The NSO product or the Network Service Orchestrator product nowadays at Cisco is the same product or an evolution of the same product that got acquired by Cisco Systems out of a smaller a uh, Swedish company called Tailef system. So it's it's actually the product that we have advanced or that we have you know make, made evolutionary changes uh, over the last couple of years. And what it is even is something you put between other software and people and the network to make it easier to consume. And it focuses and this is important on the configuration and orchestration side. So when companies like Cisco talk about the closed loop automation we think of a read, reading side and a writing side and maybe some sort of a brain on top. NSO really strives to be the best writing side of that kind of thinking. So it provides a nice abstraction um, in the sense that you can address your network as if it was one coherent thing, right? I'm a little vague in the, in the language here because it, it's a pretty platform style, uh, if you like, solution. So it's something that people use for a wide variety of things. But I mean, maybe the best way I've found to describe this Particularly for people with a bit of a software background is that if you allow NSO to sit on top of your network It makes the configuration and operational state of the network Look like a database. So it's a piece of software that exposes the configuration and operational state of your network and the services that it provides um, through something that resembles a database, so you can create things in it, you can update things in it, and you can delete things from it. So it's a it's a piece of software that tries to delight other softwares and people consuming networks.
0: Hmm. So so what sort of a network would I be having or managing to benefit from NSO? With this, I mean, it sounds like if I got a really big network with a lot of devices, that would be kind of kind of my major use case. And and to be honest, I've kind of heard that this is mostly a service provider tool. How's my perception there? Am I right or wrong?
1: I think uh, historically that is the perception. I think what we've found here is that yes, there's certainly let's say a, a lower watermark uh, where something like an NSO, kind of you know starts to make less sense. So you know maybe uh, hard and fast if your network is smaller than maybe uh, you know somewhere between you know a couple of tens of network devices, you're probably uh, you probably don't suffer too much from the kind of solutions that that NSO um, aims at. And if your networking team is small. Than uh, a single full-time person. Then, then probably um, it's also something that doesn't really fit. As for you know, service provider, that's certainly the the background of the team and the first couple of very large-scale customers that that was uh, you know and fully embraced NSO is is out of the service provider domain. But we've seen, to be honest, a lot of larger enterprises um, admit finally that they have service provider like. Uh, challenges, right? Um, At times, they look uh, terribly much the same, right? The network actually serves uh, customers or subscribers, or at least the service providers will call them subscribers. While uh, enterprise networks serves lines of business and maybe application operations, but they do have very similar problems at a certain scale. So nowadays we have an almost balanced set of customers. If you look over the last couple of uh, year or two, you will see that almost a third of our customers incoming are larger enterprises that need the same kind of automation and abstraction that NSO provides as the service providers do. So we do see a, a pickup. Uh, also in enterprise use for uh, for NSO,
0: and just to follow up on that that idea of the enterprise as service provider. Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. That makes sense um, in that large enterprises have lots of different business units. Maybe they've done a lot of uh, M&A over the years, and it ends up that the core network does look very similar to what we would think of as like a, a telco-oriented or service provider-oriented network, and it's kind of got that same feel. So I, I know exactly what you're saying, but not that you have to be a service provider of any sort to use NSO. I think the, the even bigger point we're trying to establish here. If you've got a network of size, you can get some wins here with NSO.
1: Oh, oh, absolutely. And you know what, Ethan? One of the maybe salient points is that as we now spend quite a bit of time, of course, with enterprises, many of the users of the network or people that want the network to do something uh, for them, obviously, are software people, right? The application crowd, the IT ops, the maybe the DevOps and so the people we talk to are mostly pretty strong in their software background, and of course NSO again uh, is really aiming to be an environment where someone with a an understanding of software uh, can consume the network in a less dramatic fashion than using uh, you know direct touch. Uh, using all these weird protocols that we've assembled over the years. So uh, a very strong point that we've had, a very good success we've had with enterprises is that people uh, in the application domain really like the abstractions of NSO and really uh Appreciate, for example, the Python bindings, the Java bindings, the Erlang bindings that we have on top of this system. Right, so we're really trying to delight people with a software background, and they come in abundance, of course, in enterprises, and and they are growing in the service provider domain as well, but maybe at a slower pace.
2: Well, you make a good point there, Carl, because and even you, you as well, Ethan, because maybe you're not this large enterprise, you know, Rube Goldbergian MSP looking thing, but. Being able to automate, deploy, be consistent, whatnot, is really just a a scale of uh, or a function of scaling, right? If you want to get to that point, might as well implement those systems today so that the process of getting to that size or complexity isn't so darn painful, rather than waiting for it to be this big burning kind of pain where it's like, ah, I got to deploy, you know, some automation on this and rub it on like a lotion. (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh, oh, exactly. And, and you also see like many of the abstractions in some of the favorite tools we see with the enterprise crowd, you got your, uh, your Terraforms, your Ansibles, you got your uh, Salt and Puppet and Chef and, and whatnot. Most of them actually have kind of a, almost like a database-like abstraction that they prefer using when talking to the, to the applications and talking to the resources and having something like an NSO that can actually extend that kind of view into the network has proven to be a source of, again, a source of delight for many of our enterprise customers. It kind of reduces the drama, like you said, around networking and make it look less exotic and more useful in general to the kind of tools they already have in place. So that is a that is a very strong point.
2: <laughs> well, well, you mentioned drama, so I got to ask like the hard question. I know this is a, it, you know, NSO is a Cisco tool now for the acquisition. Is this just for Cisco networks? Because that would obviously kind of limit me a bit. Or is it interact with other networks? And can you go into like maybe a little bit, little bit deeper on that inter- uh, integration with Cisco and other products?
1: Oh, of course. No. So as you can imagine, at the size we're talking here, right, uh, at least in the hundreds maybe of devices, there are literally zero single vendor networks in the world more or less, especially if you start talking about things above and beyond layer two and layer three into the security domain and other types of application-centric networking, right? So in order for anyone to gain any value out of a solution of NSO, it needs to be fundamentally multi vendor right? And that was certainly the thing that we probably got famous for before the acquisition and with the customer base that we had going in um, to Cisco, um, that was a very, very strong reason uh, for Cisco to acquire the company. And we've actually doubled, uh, literally doubled our efforts around about the multi-vendor strategy and and execution uh, for NSO after the acquisition. I don't think I will Go beyond my Swedish normal, you know, <laughs> uh, tem- tempered scope here to say that we are by far the most multi vendor uh, automation and orchestration solution on the market today. We're, we're now approaching about 200 platforms. Different networking platforms, usually meaning operating systems running on some sort of net switching or routing, but also other things that are straddling networking like Amazon and Kubernetes and other things. So we have a, a very wide range of multi-vendor adapters, if you like. We call them network element drivers or or NEDs. So it's definitely something that we rely heavily on, and, and it's it's basically why most of our customers use us for the for the strong point of uh, multi-vendor support.
0: Carl, give us a sense of the NSO architecture. We kind of know it's this thing that abstracts the network and the devices that are underneath it and we interact with it in some way, but for those of us that are very familiar with command line and those processes, what does NSO look like? What am I what's maybe what's the configuration workflow look like if I've got NSO in place?
1: Absolutely. So, I'll point out some things that is a little specific to NSO, but at the same time, talk to you about, you know, kind of where it sits. So again, it's it's a piece of software. So it's something you actually install. It's not very opinionated, which means that we have customers deploying it on, you know, what some people call bare metal Linux. They literally install it on their favorite Linux distribution. We have some customers now deploying uh, this VM-based, and of course, we have some forerunners that are deploying and so packaged as a as a containerized application, right? But it's it's a piece of software. It's literally for the Unix geeks out there. It's a single daemon. Uh, so, so it's a single binary that runs, of course, as any other application would, and it's also packaged with uh, uh, some tools. So, for the production use, you stand it up in your networking data center, uh, usually around where you have your SNMP infrastructure. If you have that, uh, you know anything that needs to touch the network. And it talks to the network through, as I mentioned, network element drivers, which is basically, you know, the piece of software that sits as a last step between a solution uh, like NSO and actually touches the configuration protocol endpoints in the devices. And it's got a set of northbound interfaces. It's got northbound interfaces for humans, like a web UI, and it's actually got command line interfaces as well. And it's got language bindings. I mentioned um, Java, Python, Erlang, C, and it's also got a couple of protocols, so it's got a REST or actually a REST-conf interface. It's got a Netconf interface, got JSON RPC. And what actually happens usually when people start, you know, uh, playing with it or start, you know, looking at it is that they install it usually um, on their laptop. It's a very small footprint. It's got a couple of hundred megs. You need to tell NSO, just like any solution, what devices are under management and how to reach them and what some of the authentication and authorization data are. And here comes the first thing that's a little unique with NSO. It's de- it's actually pretty stateful, uh, which means that you tell NSO to do what we call a sync from. So it uses that inventory data to fetch the running configuration from the devices that are under management. Um, and of course, that's dependent on the protocol um, that it exposes. It can be a rest get, it can be a CLI show running config, it can be a... Netconf get config, right? So it fetches the running configuration, it stores it in a normalized form in a database, right? So we don't store the XML from Netconf or the JSON from REST or the CLI line by line from the command line, but we actually take the data out of the protocol interaction and we map it into a Yang driven data store. And that's kind of where the magic starts, right? Because now you're in sync with your network. So now you can use any of the northbound interfaces, as I mentioned, maybe the command line interface in the first stage or the REST interface in the first stage, and manipulate the data in the local database in NSO. And when you're happy with the changes you've made in your little scratch pad, you ask NSO to push it back to the network. And NSO looks at that delta, that diff that it's built um, in the database, and it's converts that into an ordered set of commands or operations to make sure that whatever you changed in the database in NSO is also made happen in the network. And it does that using transactions. So if something fails, we'll take you back to where you were before that delta was pushed to the network. Um, So it gives you kind of a a single entry point feel um, to the whole system. And what might be worth mentioning, too, is that there's literally three environments where we see customers installing it. First of all, on people's laptops, right? So when people start to get um, familiar with it, you use local network simulators. There's one package with NSO. There are others, of course, freely available. And then people also use it in their build and uh, and deploy pipelines, right? So NSO is actually being used you know, while people are developing things. And then, of course, in production. Um, so NSO is small enough that we really want it to be used wherever people can fit it, right? It's not one of these kind of mainframey things where you have a single installer in the middle of the network and everybody gets to, you know, timeshare around it. It's a small and lean tool. Um,
0: when I set up NSO, it could be w- wherever it is that it's running, could be on my laptop, etc. Uh, I point it at devices I want it to manage. It goes and via the NED determines um, you know, the network element driver how to pull data out of that system. It's going to do a show run. It's going to, so whatever it's going to do, it's going to grab the configuration data. It's going to bring it in to NSO, normalize it. And now I can, no matter what device it came from, I can look at it in a predictable way, in a unified way. I can make configuration changes to it via the NSO command line interface, or I could use other tools that would allow me to push changes in what I, that I want to see. Um, NSO is going to look at those, compare the actual state of the network that it retrieved via the um, the, the state of the network that I want it to be, and then it's going to do a diff and push those changes down into the network. I don't have to log into individual devices anymore. NSO does that all that for me. NSO kind of becomes my my proxy, my middleman between you know, devices on the southbound end and in me or program software on the northbound side. Does that all sound about right?
1: I think you're nailing it, and and keep in mind that since the data is normalized, right? So the data that you actually traverse and, and eventually manipulate using any of the northbound interfaces, um, if you do like let's say a REST call to the root uh, resource on an NSO in some of our larger service providers, you're going to have to wait for a while because it's going to shoot back uh, uh, the configuration of about a hundred thousand routers. Uh, over that JSON um, or over that HTTP, right? So you get immediate access to a, if you like, encoding normalized representation of the configuration. So if you look into the network from NSO, you see no SNMP, of course, you see no you know again line by line CLI or XML or JSON. Uh, what you see is is a database populated with data um that is a reflection of what your network is doing and that that kind of normalization is what really delights our application brethren right because they can then of course turn that into yaml and use it in ansible Uh, they can actually use uh, if Mm -hmm. they want a terraform uh, resource provider or for that matter manipulate this using the cli right it becomes more of a delight and you create read update and delete stuff and nso makes those changes uh, happen to the network itself So one clarifying question, then you
0: mentioned that NSO is small, and it can be deployed to a whole bunch of different laptops or containers, and you can kind of have it running all over the place. Uh, Okay, but if I've got a bunch of instances of running all over the place, and I've got six people making changes on their own little NSO instances at the same time, how is that handled? How is that
1: resolved? Ah, good one. So In production use, what you normally have is that you build uh, a set of NSOs that work in collaboration, right? Something we call layered service architecture. If you look at the way we abstract or NSO abstracts the network, it becomes a big database, as I said, right? So you need, and I think this is exactly what you're asking, you need some sort of collision detect, right? You need to figure out if people are overwriting each other. Um, And unfortunately, at this point in time, this is not something that the networking equipment um, that we have in the industry today are are particularly good at. So for most domains that we know of, or most use cases, something like an NSO uh, uh, is needed on top of it, just to make sure that people don't run over each other and and introduce interactions between features and stuff like that. So NSO provides across the instances that you have installed, uh, hopefully if you configure them at least to to act like that, um, collision detection, Um, So it makes sure by local and distributed locking mechanisms that changes that are made are not, again, overwriting each other directly, meaning poking around in the same part of the data tree, or indirectly, right? Because there might be things like referential integrity between, for example, an ACL and the places where the ACL is used. Uh, So there's a whole locking and collision detection strategy in an SO to make sure Uh, that people don't unnecessarily or, you know, unless they actually want to write each other over. But that is actually a big can of worms that we spent quite a bit of time on.
0: (laughs) Well, this is this one piece that I'm still missing, which is, is there a central data repository all the NSO instances are referring to?
1: For collision detection, yes. If you have a domain, yeah, yeah. So maybe let's just leave it at that. If you need collision detection on a domain, then don't deploy two completely separated NSOs on it configure them as a united whole, if you like, or configure it uh, according to that layered service architecture that I mentioned before.
2: As I'm looking through the documentation and actually putting hands on NSO, I I certainly feel the movement towards continuous fill-in-the-blank integration and deployment. But I'm also looking at the use of the CLI as like a different option and the web and things like that. Does this mean this is a path for people that are traditionally Kind of on the SSH terminal, you know, doing things by command line, or is it like, hey, no CLI anymore, bucko, get off of get off <laughs> of that road. It has to be everything is YAML files and things like that.
1: Well, if if there's something we've learned, uh, f- f- you know, for sure, you know, in, in no uncertain terms, and certainly when we were a smaller company, was that if you try to take things out of you know operation teams hands, then that's not going to be a good business for you. So. No. Uh, in 9 out of 10 cases, uh, we have about 200 customers. So we've gone through this a number of times now. Uh, it is about introducing NSO and proving to the operations teams that by, going, uh, by using NSO, your life actually improves. And that never happens through a kind of a flag day approach, you know, yeah. uh, or they may try, but that's not going to fly, right? So there's always this process the proof is truly in the pudding, right? So we see people using, ironic as that may sound, you know, most customers start using the CLI on top of So We got a Cisco style and a Juniper style CLI on NSO. Um, so they use that and hopefully they're delighted by it. So if they are, then they will only use the direct CLI. For example, in break-fix situations, and that's fine, right? Because we can synchronize in both directions. We can sync from the network if the network is the source of truth, or towards the network if NSO is allowed to be the source of truth. But as they, you know, progress towards making maybe a using a, a REST interface, because of course using the CLI on NSO has a streak of irony to it. We see that except for you know outlier situations, people do gravitate away from the CLI. But there's no way a solution like NSO can enforce or you know try to stop people from using the CLI. So, no, you don't have to. And most of our customers honestly work in, in weird hybrid modes that certain changes are made through the CLI direct and other changes are done using NSO. However, what's common between them, of course, is that they're trying to get the majority of the changes through NSO or something like an NSO. I, that's the takeaway.
0: One more intro kind of question, Carl, about NSO, and that is, is this an intent-based networking product?
1: Well, um, I'm with Cisco, so that's a resounding yes, of course. Uh, (laughs) Now, the the harder part of that question is to then understand what intent-based means. We'd like to think it is for the simple reason that by using Yang models, and I'm sure we'll get into this in more details, you do get the opportunity to express what a service structure look like in NSO, and then you tell NSO to create services, update services, and delete services uh, when that time comes around, and then allow NSO to make that happen for you, right, without involving you too much in the details of the... Uh, if you like protocol interactions and the exact nature of the configuration parameters that get sent to the constituent devices. And I like to think that that's a fair description of what intent-based means. Uh, So yes, the meta intent is to be intent-based here. And we do think there's there's some proof in the solution itself that it is.
2: Wow, Takeaway. So I was thinking about something Carl said, there are zero large scale deployments that are single vendor. I was like, ah, great point. And being able to leverage these concepts of NEDs, I'm always thinking of the Simpsons when I hear that by the way, network element drivers, to talk about the physical and virtual network domains. It means being able to embrace the network as a namespace abstracted into chunks of data you know the database that is so much easier to view and modify at scale versus having to you know discover and integrate and i don't know just integration generally is a huge lift and having to deal with all the protocols and operating systems man i could see a lot of work being kind of lifted off the shoulders of people trying to do this stuff at scale what's on your mind ethan
0: Dude, once again, our minds seem to work uh, a lot alike sometimes. And uh, I focused on what Carl was mentioning about the lighting, the the developer community, and people that want to interact with the network programmatically. When you make the network look like a model database, then you've you've, you've done that. You've gone a long way to making that network programmatically accessible. Um, And that's something we haven't had in networking for ever that's just not something we've been able to do so NSO extracting the network in this way making it programmatically accessible through the use of modeling is just such
2: a big deal absolutely massive. All right. So now that everyone has kind of that, hello, 10,000 foot, we get warm and fuzzy and cuddled together look at NSO. Let's go a bit deeper, talk about use cases and also some of the folks that may be operating this sort of thing, because obviously we'd like to get network engineers and those looking to automate infrastructure, operate infrastructure, develop with different services together, plus those silos, because that's what we're all about. So, Carl. We were preparing for the show earlier, and we're talking about different customers that are kind of on that, I'll say journey, that network automation (laughs) journey, there we go. Uh, We have folks that kind of just say, hey, I want to do everything myself, give me the tools, get out of my way, I have things to do. Folks that kind of want Cisco to do everything for them, like, hey, I'm the consumer, just give me the buttons, I will push them. And then kind of people in the middle. Where do you think the average NSO user fits in today and kind of how that's progressing?
1: Oh, so the average is distributed, uh, I guess, uh, in this case. I I see kind of contributions coming from three distinct directions here. Obviously, we have a lot of network engineers that are curious, and some of them are very passionate even about network automation. Let's say that they have a a kind of a bottom-up view of how to automate networks, right? They start by thinking about the network in terms of their lines of configuration that they have. So, they're one kind. We have a lot of people that come from the outside, if you like, of of networking, right? So, they may be people, again, that are um, in charge of the application environment at enterprises or, for that matter, the order managers over at uh, service providers. They basically want the network to do something for them. And the third one is we have a a, a kind of a growing type of person, which is someone we call a service developer. Um, And they are the ones that then understand what the expectations on the network are from those application people or, or order management people and know how to translate that into the domain of the network itself. So those are the three, if you like, roles that are involved here. And we see most customers starting out by wanting to do things by themselves. So they want to run with whatever uh, solution um, is provided to them. Of course, in in our case, uh, it's it's NSO, right? But they quickly learn, and this is maybe where that journey comes in, uh, in the sense that uh, they learn that there's more to automation uh, using software than just automating the sending of command lines. Uh, You actually have to put a little bit of software-like rigor around it. So I'd say most of our customers really quickly end up in a in a uh, environment where they want to learn more from their peers and even from Cisco, and they want to apply software tools and experiences uh, to augment, if you like, their understanding of the network itself. Yes, that's and- where we are.
2: When we were kind of a show, I, the first thing I did, was I went to GitHub and saw your NSO-developer organization and just poured through the different repos. Then I was looking at documentation and different models that were on there and better understanding Yang. And the third thing that went in my head was, I wish Ethan was sitting here next to me to explain all this network stuff that I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm definitely on the do-it-myself. And then I, I wanted to phone a friend. I wanted to pair program with this thing. And I wanted a network engineer to help me. So I, I felt like I was very much in that bucket.
1: Yeah, that's cool. Because, you know, uh, and, and you can imagine that, of course, uh, life inside of a uh, networking uh, company like Cisco becomes interesting, right? I had a, a colleague visit us here at the Stockholm office. And over a coffee break, he leaned into me and said, it's amazing to meet Cisco colleagues that doesn't know what a VLAN is. And I asked him, do you know what a Python decorator is? And of course, he didn't. Right. So you're right. it's It's bridging those two. Uh, that gets us all excited, right? We wanna be respectful and we wanna be fully expressive in the networking domain. But we also want to again really delight people with a software background so they feel like I got this, right? I understand tree structures, I know how to how to walk them, I know how to change things using uh, you know, trees and, and I understand transactions and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's kind of that bridge again, not being too campy here, but that bridge between the software domain and, and people wanting the networks to do stuff for them and the network itself and all the experience and expertise that comes out of that.
0: Carl, I got a couple of human-related questions for you. You know, you mentioned the service developer, and I correct me if my idea here is wrong, but I'm, I'm thinking of that as uh, a, a network engineer can't also be the automation tool builder. There's just too much work already on their plate. It's hard to ask them to also be on some level a software developer, and so a service developer is kind of that that person in that role. Assuming my understanding is about right here, uh, who is it, 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 who is that person from the Cisco point of view and, and why might, might they find NSO to be useful?
1: Oh, exactly. So I, I'll say this, right? I'll say that a, a larger part of the networking community than I thought is getting interested in um, pivoting towards being, again, or becoming what we call the service developer. Um, and you can really, really see that if you ever visit Cisco Live, or for that matter, the DevNet section of Cisco's yeah. website, um, that our customers are truly spending more time uh, uh, over time uh, looking at, you know, software approaches to networking, maybe than uh, spending their entire time at Cisco Live looking at at ports and backplanes, right? So there's a. Pretty big part of the network engineering crowd that's passionate about and interested in becoming a service developer. Their task, their challenge, of course, is then to um, get up, get on top of um, software, right? Or, or you know, some basic computer science and and some choice set of technology tools like, of course, Python and and other things. And the other part is that there's always been a lot of software people uh, from kind of adjacent environments that's been interested in seeing what software can do to networking, but my experience is that they've been immediately turned off when they started approaching networking because they got things like SNMP or SMI thrown in their face. Uh, back in the day, they had things like TL1 or, or other things, right, which immediately made them realize there's nothing I know from my background that can be reused here. Um, but with lowering the barrier of entry for them by, again, providing abstractions to networking that really you know, is the same that they're used to from other parts of their of their background has made some of them very excited to to kind of jump in and, and try to help. So they come from both directions. And I say it's it's pretty even, you know, software people excited about seeing what they can do in networking and networking background people getting excited to see what some um, some software learnings can do to help.
0: Now, we've got these humans that are beginning to work on the network and a business that's trying to think about network automation and move in that direction. What are the biggest challenges that Cisco's seeing when customers are trying to do that?
1: It's funny how the conversations I'm having with people running large networks have shifted over, I'd say, the last two years. Um, Up until about two years ago, they were all over my my behind uh, on technical details. Uh, run about uh, NSO and, and networking in general, and it's slowly pivoted towards let's call it more soft challenges, um, more the not so much the what. It seems that we are at a point in the industry that m- some people at least trust that there is technology enough that they can do automation. Now comes the big question, you know, how? How do we do that? So the theme now is is the how, and that can be a little you know for a technology guy like myself that can be a little daunting, to be honest, because my traditional position is to say, well, you figured out, you know, you <laughs> I'll give you the software tools and you'll figure out how this is going to work in your organization. Uh, but we're clearly picking up that that doesn't cut it anymore. Uh, we have pretty strong pressure from our customers to to help them set up for a successful automation uh, process or journey here. And there's so much learning to be had, right? To the point that we have launched something called the network automation delivery model, where we try to assemble or collect the best practices. But I'll, I'll say that the big one that usually trips people up um, is to take on too much um, you know, in, in the first phase and that they don't have the support uh, or understanding of their management teams or their management structure, appreciation of the management structure. So I'd say th- those two things are common in terms of tripping our customers up. They're trying to do too much too fast and they don't have the organization with them. And of course, there's nothing we can put on the NSO roadmap to fix that uh, but there's certainly a lot of experience that we can share around about how to how to avoid that so that's that's kept us quite busy over the last couple of quarters at least is to assemble and get, kind of start talking about that kind of stuff it, it, it's a meat bot problem now what
0: you're saying is getting the humans aligned around this new process getting the it um group the teams uh, aligned to be able to deal with network automation is the bigger problem and again going back to that network automation delivery model that is what Cisco's kind of gathering from different customers and experiences to help folks that are uh, going down this road uh, figure out what they need to do internally to organize the meatbots to make their network automation a
1: success. Exactly. And a lot of interesting things happen when you get the meatbots, uh, for, for, you know, first of all, out of the loop, right? We have a customer, for example, that um, is using NSO to provide uh, an API to their customers. In the service provider domain, and that's a pretty big thing. So that means that they're beyond self-service portals, right? So you don't have to log in anywhere and click to improve your bandwidth or set up new links. Uh, there's actually a REST API for that, and as you can imagine, you can see the change rate just absolutely shoot through the roof, right? Um, and the whole idea of how do we actually scale this operationally? How do we, how do we actually make this into a sustainable, you know, system level uh, thing that we can support? Um, is pretty pretty daunting. You know, you go from SLAs in, in hours, maybe, into SLAs where you know you 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 expect a synchronous rest call. So when the rest call uh, responds, um, the configuration change is supposed to have happened, right? So it wreaks havoc with a lot of things. You think, you know, um, when you actually put software on top of your network. So it's a, it's a big undertaking for all of our customers.
2: And I, I will say a synchronous rest call for network changes is making the hairs raise on my arms <laughs> only because I've been through that pain so much as the other end, you know, like, hey, can I get these very minor tweaks set up? And I get it. It takes a while because there's so many considerations and risk and things like that, that the operator that I'm asking for the change has to consider. And so for me, like a good change rate turn time window is three weeks um and you're like yeah synchronous rest call like oh my gosh the future it sounds so amazing <laughs> but to that point then i kind of want to go into a little bit of the, the nuts and bolts of how, how do i get nso off the ground you know, like what what investments do i have to make to start especially as we're talking about you know maybe some some of the ide's i'm consuming or or specifically the backend database to capture this massive brownfield that i have that with this existing infrastructure
1: Out of our maybe 200 customers now, I only know of one single actual, you know, literal greenfield network. So the first phase uh, in deploying NSO does include quite a bit of retrofitting, if you like, um, or or getting NSO stood up, uh, not only on the the network that you have with the uh, the equipment and maybe the versions of software you're running, but also, um, hopefully, you know, Inserted into your organization in a way that doesn't turn people off because god knows that many of our industry uh, People our industry peers have tried things like look like NSO, and they've failed with career damaging results, right? so it's a it's a little bit of a of a trust based exercise first and Literally, you know, it usually goes through that first stage that I said you stand it up somewhere you put a, a smaller part of your network um, into the inventory of NSO. You do that sync from. And the first use case or the first task most people undertake with NSO is to clean up the network. And at this point in time, I can—I don't even have to ask my customers. I can probably tell them, most of them, that uh, you guys are losing control over the quality of your configuration in your network, right? And most people would actually give me a, uh, a nod. Uh, you know, There's a lot of configuration out there that is either dead or simply wrong. And the first thing that most of our customers do is that they clean out dead configuration in their network by using pretty basic template means. Um, But of course, since we're a synchronous system, you can do it in the local database and you can do it using a wide variety of means. Uh, We had a large enterprise use NSO on their configuration security postures. So they did a sync from and all their firewalls and then they wrote a small Python script to analyze the configuration uh, in the database. And they found uh, on the order of 50,000 deviations from uh, expectation <laughs> just in their uh, firewall rules. right? But that was uh, for a couple of days of work. So just by the fact that you fish out the configuration into something that's a comfortable scripting environment uh, gives a good start. Because, again, that whole first phase is about preparing net- the network for automation down the line uh, yeah. and cleaning out the dead config. And we've had... Man, we've had customers that were proud of the fact that they had 60% you know, correct configuration in the network had taken
2: the get <laughs> to that, right? Sounds but like an archaeological dig. You're like, oh, look at this dinosaur tooth from the the old token ring days. That's why this is here, you know, you're just finding the old stuff.
1: You know? Oh, you're so right. So people ask one of the common questions I get with NSO is that do you do service discovery as if there's a single way of discovering what the network can do? And my, you know, turnaround to them is normally no, but we can help with your service archeology, right? So you're absolutely right. It's that fine brush uh, that allows you to unveil what the network is doing, uh, you know, in the sense that that you can you can see it, but actually, you know, connecting it uh, together is is a whole nother story.
2: So Carl, earlier you're talking about a kind of Cisco style interface, a Juniper style interface, these different command line interfaces, and different web interfaces that are ideally just consuming some sort of web API under the covers. What's the progression beyond you know kind of humans interacting this? We've alluded a little bit to software interacting with NSO, perhaps pipelines that are driving either decisions that are triggered based on what it finds in the database, or or ultimately deviations that are being fixed through the, uh, through those decisions. But what, kind of what's the evolution that other systems are now talking to NSO as the source of truth of the network?
1: Oh, sure. So uh, actually, kind of again back to that journey, we fully appreciate the fact that the introduction of something like an NSO is, again, not something you do on a flag day, but it kind of, well, if everything works, it grows into the organization, it grows into the network rather than the other one by by, by ramming or pushing. And what we see, again, is people tend to use what they know. So we underestimated the importance of the clis right the command line interfaces on nso that almost provokes if you like a visceral <laughs> uh, effect when i show it to people so you stand up NSO so on a multi-vendor network and you show how to configure that independent of the vendor independent of the role independent of the protocol used by using command line interfaces so people are usually very curious about that And it's also a very transparent system, right? So we can dry run everything. We show people exactly what we're about to send over that socket over to that device. And that's a big exercise in trust. But what happens after a couple of months, hopefully, um, when people realize the value and become uh, comfortable with the abstractions and the interactions is that, of course, they look for means of scripting, for example. So it's a pretty short step from the CLI into using, let's say, Python, the request library, for that matter, just Curl to do the same thing you did in the NSL CLI, but do it through the REST interface. And then people become interested in more true programming language constructs, um, things like for loops and and making bigger sweeping changes and not uh, chatting around REST interfaces to to each uh, 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 part of the configuration. So they usually start looking at the Python binding, right? So they start building Python. And as soon as they start building Python, as you guys know, suddenly you have software. Um, and software needs to of course, not just be developed, but tested and then eventually deployed. And that's where usually where the kind of big difference uh, arrives at our customers, they realize that, okay, in order to, keep uh, up with the scripting here and maybe even towards programming or using for example java we probably need a a software repository we probably need a test step maybe even a dev test and a prod test step and we need a a formalized way of deploying this and there you go you're off on that (laughs) stepped process aka journey um, towards having a software centric and pipeline centric way of, of managing your network but we find that you know small incremental steps rather than Big flag days has truly been the key to success for many of our customers here.
0: <laughs> I, I like the flag day. We're doing it all. Everything's switching <laughs> over. Right. Can't no, not I mean, do that. That's right. Exactly. It just doesn't happen for the most part in the real world. Right. Um. Wh- <sighs> Listening to some of what I can do with NSO, it does remind me of some other tools. So how do I make a choice by, uh, of NSO over, say, Ansible, which is also really popular in uh, the network automation space? W- would I use Ansible also? Is there a use case for both? Do I choose one over the other? Or maybe a different way to ask the question would be, How does how is NSO different from what I think of as a configuration state manager like Ansible?
1: Yeah, as you can imagine, one of the questions that I actually talk the most about and that I'm pretty passionate about. And the, the traces of that can be seen in various and sundry presentations that we have done together with the Ansible networking crowd at Ansible Fest and Cisco Knowledge Networks and others. And here's where it gets interesting. Here's where it gets where I get passionate, right? In order to understand how to best solve a problem, you need to understand, of course, the nature of the problem. Because if you care to look a little closer, at NSO, at Ansible, and at other solutions, you will see that they actually have, would you believe it, an architectural idea behind them. Um, So, and assumptions, and opinions, right? Which makes them particularly useful to problems that has a similar, of course, structure to it. So, the, the big kind of question back I have for customers that are asking me, why should I use Ansible if I have NSO or the other way around, is to ask them what is the fine problem right what is it the problem that they're trying to solve there's a whole slew of problems where ansible is you know absolutely fantastic to solve there's a whole slew of problems where nso fits really well there's very strong ansible supporters that are trying to use ansible for nso like problems there's strong nso supporters that are trying to have nso compete if you like with ansible but i'd say if we use ansible as an example you kind of said it ansible is a stateless and procedural solution Ansible is something you run and it it works its way through tasks or playbooks, playbooks consisting of tasks, and then it's done, right? It doesn't actually keep consistent state, right? And why should it, right? Because the background of Ansible and and the way people are using it, um, it doesn't actually need to. So Ansible works super well for one-off and stateless changes to the network, uh, rolling SSH keys, upgrading software, there's a whole slew of things. From the other extreme, if you like, of the uh, of the spectrum here, you think of things like uh, layer three uh, VPNs, or for that matter, service function chains, or for that matter, bringing up and managing uh, virtual EPCs, but also basic services in the network that actually requires the ability to create them, update, and delete them. That's really where NSO shines, or where we believe NSO shines. And what we also see, of course, is that people start with Ansible, and they take it just to the edge of what it's supposed to do, and then they combine that with NSO. So as you guys probably know, there are NSO modules in Ansible uh, core, or certified core uh, NSO modules. So Ansible can drive um changes in the network uh through nso and to actually pretty spectacular effect that's the work that we've done with the ansible crowd that we're particularly um happy about right because again nso makes the network looks like a like a database so you only need a very small set to run about four or five ansible modules independent of the size of the network independent of the make of the network independent of what kind of protocols um you use to talk to the network devices by putting Ansible on top of NSO, you actually get immediate access uh, to the whole network, which, again, kind of delights people in the um, application domain that uses Ansible for their applications because now they can reach the network. Uh, at times, it, that terrifies, of course, the networking people uh, because, of course, with great power comes great re- responsibility. But there are means and technical ways of, of limiting that as well. So we think the the better together story um, is truly uh, what's important. And also, again, really trying to get people to step back and think about the nature of the problem they're trying to solve and and pick a useful solution to it based on, on that architecture.
0: Chris, I got to tell you, man, this data normalization thing, it's going to catch on. It's pretty its pretty huge. And network data, again, has not been normalized forever. We've had all these different ways to try to pull information out of the network based on what we can see in configuration stanzas in a lot of ways, or what SNMP MIBs that a particular vendor decided to create a specific way would give us, or a variety of other ways. So having the data be normalized and predictable, no matter what your network device is, is, is really a big deal from a programming standpoint. Now you can write a program against the network instead of having to worry about all the differences and nuances that you find
2: between network devices. What uh, what comes to your mind? I really liked hearing the interest around the focus on software approaches to networking. It, it just makes a lot of sense to me. It allows me or or my colleagues to transform from being that imperative operator that executes the will of the network, you know, into more of that architect and builder of the end state using that declarative tooling in the network, you know, it should should be there anyway. So I just thought it was, it was good and I, I thought it was often good to look at the processes or the workflows and then say like, does this scale? And traditionally the answer is no. So I think NSO seems like a good ingredient to add to efforts around this, you know, the scaling efforts, especially considering the use case around constructing something like a RESTful API layer for your networks to be able to call and do things like, yes, more of that, love it. All right,
0: Carl, I want to go even deeper into the weeds on NSO with you. So one question, we've been talking a lot about network infrastructure, but I'm moving a lot of my infrastructure to cloud, which really changes things. Can I leverage NSO to help me manage my cloud-based infrastructure or other sorts of things that maybe aren't network as such?
1: Ethan, you're not alone in this. Um, I'm coming with you into the weeds here. And certainly, cloud is a gigantic, massive part of almost all of our customers' uh, future. And what you have to do is think about uh, what networking in the cloud means, right? So for most of our customers, obviously, they are what uh, Cisco would call multi-cloud customers, meaning that they're not beholden to a single one, uh, You know, whether they like it or not. They're going to work with many of them which means that there's going to be networking going between the on-prem environment, you know, independent of whether it's an on-prem cloud style operations or on-prem uh, bare metal uh, applications, and the cloud themselves, which means that as people move things and things at times even move themselves, the network needs to, to some extent, follow, right? Um, so yes, when people design services using NSO or the service abstractions that they need, A good best practice is to think about what it means when those services serve things that are in the cloud. So we do have integration with the major service or sorry, the major cloud providers, right? Or the networking side of of the major cloud providers. That's maybe one thing that I should point out is that NSO, the N in NSO is really important. It's not a generic orchestrator. It's not a business process orchestrator or application lifecycle orchestrator. We concern ourselves with networking and networking constructs. So we do have integration with the major cloud platforms networking side. So things like AWS VPC. So a way of using NSO that some customers do is that they have services that can then move from on-prem data center environment uh, in front of the applications into the AWS environment, right? And he, coming back to the intent-based thing here for the consumer on top of NSO, this should make little difference, or should you know play a, very, a small role. Now, you know, physical on-prem networking is slightly different, of course, than for example the Amazon VPC construct. So there's some difference between it, uh, but as long as it's got an endpoint that we can talk protocol to and a means of putting a model on it, uh, we're happy to talk to it. So we do have customers, again, using NSO to talk to physical networks, virtualized or VNF-style networking, but also uh, cloud-style, you know, platform-based networking as well. doesn't matter much to us.
0: Yeah, and and I guess that makes sense because as the cloud is meant to be accessed programmatically, writing a NED that gets you in there, it seems like would be – I don't want to make it trivial, but it does seem like it might have been easier than some of the other
1: NEDs you would have had to write – Yes. You know, the data model for a VPC, Ned, is uh, a couple of orders of magnitude smaller than one for, uh, say, iOS XR. There right. are very much yeah. fewer <laughs> to, to right. knobs to twist mm. and twiddle here. Carl, I installed NSO on my Mac just to
0: poke around, which, by the way... I, I- I mean, I know you just haven't mentioned it yet, but I, I was able to do that for free. There was no license I had to install, and I got NSO, and it's running on my Mac. Now, as I was going through those, hey, welcome to NSO. Here's what you can do with it. Here's a few things we recommend you try. There's kind of a series of documents that walks you through that. I added the friendly voice, but but you you know what I mean about <laughs> <laughs> those <Thank> documents. <laughs> it, uh, it's, uh, in the installation doc, had me use Pyang, the command line Pyang, to browse a network model data tree for Cisco IOS. So- as a network engineer, explain why that was relevant to me to
1: do that as a new NSO consumer. Oh, uh, okay. So he, here's a big shift in how to think about, for example, then how to interact with iOS, right? Traditional iOS, right? Traditionally, we had to look through documentation to understand how to interact with a command line interface. There was no single source. Of machine-readable definition of what the CLI could do for you, right? This works really well in an all meat space or all-human environment, right? They, we can take courses, uh, we can take trainings, uh, we can pour over the documentation, and we can focus on the parts that are important to us, which at times is a very small part of the entirety of the of the command line, for example. Now. As a programmer, what you want or what you need is a full and formal description of the entire thing. You may only care for a small thing, small part of the thing, but you need something that your tools can eat. And As the name maybe unveils or or, or tells you, Piang is a Python-based implementation of a a Yang tool. So something that can read Yang and it can format and show it to humans in a variety of formats, HTML, you know, ASCII tree-based. It can actually provide uh, UML diagrams. So in order to actually start getting used to uh, that formal or that schema-driven way of interacting with the devices, Piang becomes a really handy tool. You could could probably do without it, uh, but you would probably miss out on the fact that again now we have a full and formal description of the CLI that that a machine can understand, and you don't have to default to documentation uh, for understanding how the operations uh, uh, sorry for the CLI commands on how they work. I don't know that if that's enough for you. Uh, no, no, I
0: think that's perfect. Yeah. You're highlighting something super important here, which is machine readable versus human readable. Now, Cisco yes. documentation is among the best in the business. And one of the reasons why is it is that it is extremely standardized. That is, I can look at documentation from five or even 10 years ago, and the format of something brand new is going to look very familiar to me. In fact, as I was mm. going through NSO documentation, it's like, huh, this is the Cisco documentation I'm used to reading and have been reading for a very long time. Just, it's about this other product. Mm. Um, and but and while that's great for me as a human, as you pointed out, Carl, doesn't really help me much when I'm trying to programmatically interface what I am able to do with a particular device. And Yang is giving me that and uh, using uh, Piang, uh, that Python... Uh, Yang modeler that will actually show me the data tree in an ASCII format on the screen does exactly that. It brings that to my mind. Oh, okay, now I've got a model that I can interact with the network and here's everything, all the branches of the tree that I can access as as opposed to what I would have done before. Wonderful documentation though it is. um, Digging through pages and pages of docs isn't the thing that I'm going to be doing as a script
1: or as a piece of code. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And if you talk to, again, people with a software background, they assume something like an open API or Swagger definition, and, and this is where Chris wakes up. Um, you know, if you go further back in history, people are used to things like reading a SQL or SQL schema, right? They're they're used to getting something that is full and formal to describe the data set that they can manipulate, and you know uh, that's one of the things that again used to turn off software people that arrived in the networking industry. They would ask, "What can I do to this device?" You know, programmatically, and they would literally send a send a print ready ready PDF. To someone and again they would be out the door in no time so so one
0: more follow-up question carl was about that nso that i installed my mac now i just went up to one of the network service orchestrator pages and it said hey if you want this click here and click here and i clicked and clicked and logged in with my cco id and i downloaded it and again never had to give anybody a credit card or um, install a license even and it was there what
1: did i actually download is that a fully functioning version of nso that is literally the same build that people use to manage on the excess of 150,000 devices uh, in production. Uh, look, it, the, the point here is people, and this is also a big shift in the industry people want to understand by doing, right? They much prefer getting their hands on the software and then making, up, uh, making their minds up, which again, this sounds very natural to people with a software background, also like myself, but that's not really how networking, the networking working world has helped. So this is a, a direct reflection of that, is that we want as many people as possible to download NSO, get comfortable with it, and of course, we're proud enough of the product that we think they will love it, or at least they will see. The architectural uh, cleverness that we think we have put into it, and by themselves, make the decision whether this actual way of thinking about things solves problems for them or not. So, so that's that. Of course, it is, um, you know, no doubt about it. It's a commercial product. So as soon as you start getting closer to actually using it in your production network, we appreciate the hand racer, and and there's a couple of things that does help above and beyond the tech itself. Uh, But again, we want everybody um, to at least get their hands dirty with it and and form their own opinions about it and not just uh, read our slides or read our marketing material, but actually see see the thing in action.
2: I can attest that if I'm looking to develop or just integrate with any sort of system, the only way to play with it is a contact sales button, and the documentation is a PDF versus something like a JSON dump out of Open API. <laughs> no way, no, bueno, not, not going to happen. I'm not going to go parse through this stuff with my eyeballs to figure out how to, you know, declare that within an SDK or something like that. So I, I'm with you on that one, Carl. And in fact, I was thinking, kind of uh, taking what you're doing with NSO and thinking beyond just the use case of this particular piece of software, but let's say someone's actually working with NSO, they're, they're up-leveling their Python skills, does that kind of coding and language experience help me with NSO, beyond NSO, or if I, or if I have that background already and I've been playing with Python and Jinja 2 and stuff like that, does that make it so that I'm more prepared to work with something like NSO, kind of each, each angle of it, if you will? Oh, absolutely.
1: I mean, again, you know, coming back to the whole you know, term that I use, we want to delight people. Uh, with a software background, and, and, and you know, Python, of course, uh, being one of the languages that we support in terms of bindings, um, we think that the Python API for NSO is literally mind-blowing. If you look at how that works, I would say that it's really hard to look at anything else, right? If you remember your good old DOM programming in the HTML world, the way you traverse trees and make changes. That's exactly what this is, but it's you know something that sits on top of the entirety of your network. So again, anyone who has any background with Python will at least be intrigued by the Python bindings in NSO and how that really lowers the barrier of entry to do sweeping changes across the network. whether that again, whether that's good or bad, um, that's probably an operational question, but it certainly really opens up the network to true you know programmatic approaches. Gone is the days of like print, uh, you know, strings um, according to a particular part of the Cisco documentation, or for that matter, handcrafting JSON uh, for, for for other vendors, right? This is a a, a neutralized or sorry of normalized uh, data tree that you traverse using whatever language you find best among the ones that we that we support, and the rest happens, of course, uh, under the hoods of NSO using a transactional model. So, again, it's it's trying to to really take out the mystery here and and you know, provide the data structures in a way that's comfortable.
2: And I, I'm just imagining as Ethan, you know, cuts his teeth on this with me. We make a module called like Ethan's Dope Network, and the top of every Python <laughs> script know. is like import Ethan's Dope Network. I'm like, this is this is great, you know. And, and, and joking aside, because that's that's literally the definitions that you provided to kind of an API and SDK layer with the Python bindings can be used to craft. You can build just about anything you want on an individual module level and then deploy that internally using repos or put it up on GitHub. And I actually saw a bunch of the sample policies you have for controlling things like DNS and Telnet, some really great kind of basic examples that I think everyone can grok pretty easily. Uh, but it just means that that work doesn't have to be reproduced over and over and over again. You can share it, or you know, internally or externally, depending on what you're allowed to do. Which just really, really blows my mind on the networking side because I just really haven't seen a lot of that in this space.
1: Again, coming back to what I said about you know the fact that we now talk about more about the how. One of the things that we get almost violently from our customer base, is that they want to meet each other. so <laughs> what I mean? To the point where they may not even you know, need us in the room or want us in the room. So we have nowadays a yearly developer days meeting. Um, actually, we're keeping it here in Stockholm where people can meet and exchange uh, experiences and and talk about uh, you know how they use NSO and, and lessons learned and, and share code. So that's another big part of what we do here all day, every day, try to facilitate people sharing with each other um, because of course that's at the core of a platform style product like nSO is that we want people to learn from each other understand the basic abstractions and then not repeat each other's problems of course historically um, competitively that's that's been a little little uh, challenging you know people don't necessarily open up too much uh, but with the insane pressure and automation these days that that Doesn't seem to be a big problem anymore. Everybody understands we're in a pretty crappy situation in networking in general and and underwhelming in the automation efforts. And we'd rather work as a team to solve that uh, that, than, you know, do petty competition tricks. Hmm.
0: Carl, NSO recently had a major update. Can you talk through the new shiny bits that we're going to be all excited about?
1: Absolutely. Two themes, Ethan. One is uh, maybe a little more in the weeds. Uh, NetConf and Yang is really taking off. Uh, taking off, of course, in this domain means that it's going glacially, but it's going, uh, which means <laughs> right. that yeah, we now have uh, actually a large number of vendors that actually has NetConf and Yang. And also, our our good friends over at both Enterprise and Service Provider have uh, a wide variety of versions of the software. So we had to teach NSO to work in, in true brownfield networks and entertain many versions of the same software at the same time. So we had to actually provide a means of running uh, uh, the same network abstractions, but of different versions. This may sound a little technical, but it's a big thing for those customers that we have that have in the excess of of 100,000 devices in the network at the same time. That opened up for a whole slew of other things. And and the second big thing here is scaling. Again, we have some of the largest networks in the world. Every order of magnitude, we usually say, brings with it a whole new class of problems. So now that we have, again, customers above the 100,000 line, uh, we had to really focus on scalability and speed um, in the platform itself. Uh, so that those are the the, the big two themes um, coming out of the major bump, major major version bump, NSO five that we launched a couple of months ago. Uh, there's a whole slew of other things as well. We see the standardization uh, progress. Um, we see people actually trying to solve for the call home problem, a secure call home. Um, we see ways of leveraging the tooling of Yang again to translate into environments like Ansible and. Terraform and other environments, but scaling and really making sure that we support the living large networks uh, uh, in the industry today were the two big things that pushed for the NSO5 version bump.
0: So lots of new and shiny bits that we'll be excited about. So then and that means it's nso's done now right is there, there's no roadmap oh. because you've just conquered everything or or is there a roadmap carl
1: <laughs> there is a roadmap ethan i'll tell you this though maybe this is a finer point the actual core architecture of nso of course above and beyond you know uh, the scaling and the performance and and the robustness is pretty stable so most of the exciting stuff now comes straight out of watching people use nso and also the emergence of some of the standards that we worked on with the ITF and others uh, for a couple of years. So you will see a pretty stable product, pretty stable abstractions, but you'll see a, a whole slew of really cool things happening around about the tooling and around about you know, how we um, make use of these standards. Maybe one thing to point out, because this is one of my, my favorites, is that in the most recent release of NSO 5.2, uh, we launched something called the Net Builder. It's a feature for NSO that allows NSO to interrogate a device that it may have never seen before, literally using standard protocol interactions to fetch the Yang models out of that device and, uh, if you like, generate or automate the generation of a NED so it literally removes any manual step of onboarding new devices or for that matter new versions of the operating system running on a device and for some of our customers that is actually pretty huge right they can go away from the whole idea of having vendor specific nets right because the only thing that actually matters are the yang models coming off of that box and if there's a standard way of doing it you know they can actually do that automatically so that's one thing that i'm particularly interested in that doesn't really um, Make a huge difference for many of our customers yet because they're not ready for it, but you know that whole thing of removing humans from that you know inter- integration loop, hmm. um, I think promises a lot. And if you pair that with call home secure call home, so a device comes up authentication uh, uh, itself and then you can actually fetch a machine readable definition of what that device can do for you, now you're really starting to delight the software people and, and removing many of the weird manual steps that that we have uh, been working uh, through uh, in the networking industry. Well, Carl
0: Moberg of Cisco Systems, thank you very much for sharing your wisdom and knowledge on Network Service Orchestrator. Man, this was a lot of show. We got a lot, a lot of information here and there's no way in one pass we, we were able to get it all. So for those of us that want to dive deeper and learn more, I'm assuming there's an NSO landing page, somewhere that we can go to find out more data?
1: There's definitely one. Uh, So cisco.com, go NSO, um, is the most straightforward one, and that will take you to a variety of resources. Maybe one worth calling out directly to is that uh, there's a big NSO presence at DevNet, or that's developer.cisco.com, and, and look for NSO. for That's for the technically inclined. That's where we have the GitHub repo uh, that Chris mentioned and some of the more uh, detailed information. And you can always find me at Twitter, c.moberg. Ask me questions. Uh, ask me whatever you want, uh, and I'll be more than happy to help. Again, I'm, I am the appointed and anointed product manager for NSO, so it's definitely in my job description to help out, always available for that. Thanks,
0: Carl. You've been that way for years. So, uh, yeah, we do know about uh, that about you and appreciate your contributions to the community that way. And to th- for those of you that are listening, that is it for today's sponsored edition of the Datanauts podcast. And remember that you can run NSO for free for non-production You should you download it and try it. And if you like it, Cisco would be delighted to help you turn NSO into a production reality. And for more of our Datanaut shows about infrastructure engineering, visit PacketPushers.net, the internet home for all of our IT podcasts, blogs, and news by and for serious. IT professionals. If you learned something today, hey, share this episode with your colleagues because that's kind of the point. And until then, may your server lights blink, your network be orchestrated, and your cables be cleanly managed.